and welcome to our fifth episode of our podcast series, Inside Tech, Done Deal, where we look at the who, the what, and the why of technology deals across the Asia-Pac region. My name is Malika Chandasegran. I'm a partner in our corporate team specialising in M&A and other strategic transactions with a focus on the tech sector. But before we jump into it, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today, or I should say on the land on which we're recording this podcast from today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to their elders past and present. With me today, I'm really excited. I've got um, Victor Chu, partner in our Singapore office, who specialises in venture capital, and Claire Thompson from our Melbourne office, who also um, co-heads our venture capital practice um, and I'm super excited to be talking to both of them about everything venture-related in tech. So I'm going to delve straight into it. And thanks, Victor and Claire, for joining me. So the first topic I'm going to cover is what everyone's talking about, valuations. You know, I'm really interested in hearing your perspectives on valuations being down and what that means for the market in Australia and also in, in Asia. Maybe, Claire, let's start with you. Thanks, Malika, and great to be here. So we definitely have seen some valuations soften after the heady days of 2020 and 2021, but I think we're approaching a point where things are starting to normalise again, albeit at a slightly lower level. In 2022, we saw a lot of uncertainty around valuation. And as a result, we saw a lot of companies that needed to raise do so using things like safes or convertible notes so that they could do an unpriced round um, to avoid some of the difficult conversations around potentially down rounds. As things have moved on, we're starting to see more priced rounds occur again. Um, the evaluations are down a little, but it does feel like everyone is willing to have a discussion around what a down run might mean and how investors and founders alike might navigate those issues. Um, deals in general are taking a little bit longer, and so there is a bit more time to, to delve into these issues, I suppose, when parties are negotiating their term sheets. And Victor, are you seeing the same in Asia? Hey, Malika, thanks for having, having me on again. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think the trends are broadly consistent with what uh, Claire is seeing in, in Australia. Valuations um, continue to come under pressure. Um, investors are sort of taking sort of a closer look, more scrutiny around how the models are constructed and really kicking the tires on and testing the assumptions whether they hold true or not. Um, and, and as Claire says, said, this is particularly acute for um, companies who are sort of midway through, the, through their funding journey and are at a particular valuation levels and there's a lot of reticence to well, want to do a down adjustment and that's completely understandable. So sort of a continuation of the trend we saw from last year where the sensible founders are making a concerted effort to uh, reduce their burn, extend their runway, um, but of course it's not always possible. Um, and likewise, lots of sort of um, convertibles, uh, safe or care care rounds in the Singapore context, and um, sort of uh, convertible notes um, to avoid having to bite the bullet on uh, having an adjustment to price. 
Um, but interestingly, um, I've worked on several uh, fundraising rounds in the seed stage where the valuations are very healthy and we're talking about the tens of millions um, for sort of the, the first uh, fundraising. So definitely broad, broadly trend is intact, but um, exceptions in certain parts of the market. That's really interesting. And what about in kind of the later stage? Um, are you seeing the same sort of trends or slightly different trends in that, Claire? So I would agree with what, what Victor said around the early stage. We are still seeing some quite healthy raises occurring. Um, perhaps some some clients are also being a little bit more discreet with their announcements as well, given overall market dynamics. But in the later stage, there, there are a lot of transactions happening, but there's a much wider variety of terms around, you know, I think there had been a perception in Australia that there is a market standard of one times non-participating liquidation preference. However, over the last six months, we have seen that uh, definitely be challenged on a few occasions. We're seeing um, definitely some more some more interesting terms be offered where it makes sense to do so. And we're also seeing some other alternative transactions happen. So a little bit of secondary, a little bit of creative structuring, I suppose, um, is how some people might put it. Um, we're seeing full ratchet adjustments occasionally as well. And we're seeing warrants being used quite a lot as well to give people a little bit of a kicker um, to ensure the valuations stack up, I suppose. That's really interesting, Claire, and um, really shows how dynamic the market is. Um, and Victor, are you seeing similar things in Asia, you know, the use of warrants and, and um, some of the instruments that Claire was talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And... I think this this trend is particularly pronounced in the later stage, uh, for sure. Uh, there's lots of more bespoke terms. Um, so investors coming in later, we're looking at what's currently in play and sort of think how they can be put off. They can put themselves in sort of a, a better position than than what is what be normal. So likewise in 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 Singapore and Southeast Asia, the one X liquidity preference is. Or, or should I say, used to be the, the the common market standard, and sort of we're we're seeing that not being always the case anymore. Um, so in some cases, investors are asking for some multiple of um the the investment as their as their so called downside protection. But you know, once you are beyond one X, it's really trying to protect an upside, right? So it, it's really gone beyond just um sort of downside protection. Um, the other kind of uh popular feature that we're seeing a lot of is sort of tiered funding um, or tranche funding according to milestones. So rather than uh, have one close with all the funds coming at once, um, they're asking founders to sort of uh, show what they can do with a, a, a particular tranche and then sort of release the subsequent tranches uh, based off uh, milestones that um, that can be achieved. Um, obviously, with, with later stage uh companies their cap tables and their share rights matrix gets quite a bit more complicated that's always been the case but with this um so-called this creative structuring in play these days um that there really is an increased need to navigate quite carefully 
um, around the provisions, um, and especially where it's overlaid with convertibles and uh, sort of uh, derivative instruments, it can really get quite complex. So it's, it's certainly interesting work, interesting times um, happening in that corner of the market. I would definitely agree with that, Victor. To jump in, we are seeing a lot of companies uh, having a lot more convertibles on their cap tables than you would necessarily expect at the later stage, um, typically when they've used one for a bridging round. But the, the conversion mechanics can be incredibly complex, especially when you, you do com two convertible rounds back to back. Um, and you really have to understand the conversion maths inside out because it can trip you up quite easily. That's interesting, Claire. And one thing I was wondering is, you know, we talk about venture capital and, you know, there's obviously the usual players, VC funds, um, but I feel like the ecosystem's obviously much expanded from that. And, you know, there's lots of crossover investors, which could also be having an impact on those terms and what people expect um, in terms of terms um, when investing in particular later stage companies. Are, are you both seeing that sort of crossover investor trend and that impacting on terms? Interested in any thoughts? Yeah, I think so. We have really noticed a big uptick from corporate, from big corporates in uh, minority investing over the last few years. There are quite a number of companies that have set up their own corporate venture arms or are just looking to do minority deals on balance sheet as part of maybe an ESG strategy. Uh, and that often does drive some slightly different outcomes. You know, for instance, in that situation, for those corporates, the I guess the value is not just about financial returns. It's often about a strategic partnership or a broader alignment. And so they do have different drivers, perhaps, to traditional VC investors. Yeah, um, likewise, Monica, absolutely. Um, and I would say that in this part of the world, the, there's even greater diversity. So in addition to the venture and growth funds and corporate venture, um, there's substantial interest from sovereign wealth fund, pension funds, family offices. Um, and each of these some new players or crossover investors do bring a particular lens to their investments. Um, the, the venture landscape is a fairly well-trodden path and sort of um, venture capital funds and investors, they are quite used to doing deals in a particular way and sort of the overall uh, deal terms and structure sort of works in, there's a certain internal logic to it all. Um, so certainly when new new players come onto the scene, um, that does uh, change, uh, shake up the status quo a bit. Um, the question why are terms set out in a particular way, can't, why can't we do it in that way? So there's um, certainly sort of much greater diversity in terms of um, deal structuring and the lending points that you can come to. And the other side of the coin is that companies, investors, uh, companies and founders are much more willing to consider these terms um, in, in, a, in, in the 2021 market. Um, you know, term sheets were pretty much take it or leave it. There wasn't too much room to negotiate uh, on terms, but in this environment, um, you know, investors really do have a lot more leeway in being able to introduce or modify terms which never used to be up for, up for negotiations before. 
And it's interesting, Victor, because I imagine a lot of the crossover investors, or at least for some of them, you know, Claire, as you were saying, if you're making investments as part of an ESG strategy or for a different purpose, where actually what they're looking for is a partnership um, to help to, you know, broaden a certain aspect of the business and it's not merely a financial investment. And I can imagine that the terms that get negotiated as a result of that would be quite different and they look at it fairly differently as well. Yeah, that's definitely the case. I mean, I think the traditional way of structuring it would be to have two agreements side by side. So one would be the investment piece, and that would usually be separate from any type of strategic partnership. But the business case from the corporate's point of view definitely relies on both sides of the coin, right? Um, And so it is it is interesting to see, you know, some of the decisions driving the investment in the first place will not necessarily be particularly focused on the financial outcomes of the company, but more what it can do in a sector, in a space, or what the two companies can do in partnership together. Yeah, exactly. And it's that sort of thinking outside the box around, you know, ways to to solve issues um, and partner with companies to help to solve those issues. Just speaking about crossovers, um, and this is a slight segue away from sort of talking about crossover investors. Um, the other sort of interesting trend that I've I've seen in the past year or so is a different kind of crossover and almost going the other way around. So it used to be the case that the sort of the, the venture model of transacting um sort of minority investments um, with a lead investor but non-exclusive done in as a part of a round. Um, that, that used to be fairly confined to tech or tech-related companies. Um, what I, I've been seeing in more recent times is that that model is being exported into um, non-tech sectors. So areas like commercial manufacturing, FMCG, uh, deals are being done in those areas using the venture funding model, um, but they're not sort of tech-related, uh, entirely uh, sort of un- unrelated. Uh, which I thought is another interesting kind of trend and a form of crossover and um, certainly interesting for us lawyers um, who have also been used to doing deals in a certain way in certain parts of the market. Yeah, I would agree with that, Victor. We we have seen that happening a little bit as well, uh, especially in, I suppose, the D2C um, or just consumer businesses have probably been the ones that have taken that up most in Australia, but it'll be really interesting to see whether there are other startup businesses that want to use this funding model to to bring on minority investors that are perhaps outside the traditional space. Really fascinating to see um, tech driving some of these trends outside of the um, outside of the sector. Just to kind of change tact a little bit. Um, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about what's happening on exits, you know, because we're seeing obviously VC funds and also, you know, the crossover investors we've just talked about. How are people looking at exits in the space? Um, You know, IPOs are obviously challenged at the moment. What are you seeing on that and other types of exits or strategies in relation to exits? Let me start with you, Victor. Yeah, thanks, Monica. Yeah, I think... IPO is certainly IPO as an exit has certainly remained muted. Um, there is talk about uh, IPOs in the US market that were shelved last year being brought back to market this year. Um, sort of self-sounding and um, sort of um, 
uh, roadshows going on, but certainly nothing has really materialized and we're certainly a, a long way off from the days of 2021. Um, but I think looking at exits as a whole, um, there are exit opportunities, but this may not necessarily be an IPO. Um, a lot more companies are open to uh, acquisitions, so M&A as an exit. Um, some in some cases, uh, you know, the the startup may just run out of the runway, and so they they, they have to look and find 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 an exit. But in in others, it's really about uh, realizing synergies between um, either neighboring verticals, companies in neighboring verticals, or of or competitors in the same space. So there's certainly quite a bit of consolidation going on, and um, there's a lot of interest being. Um, driven by sort of the, the the larger tech companies who are not now looking to sort of acquire or to expand you know inorganically. Yeah, I would agree with that, Victor. We are we are definitely seeing that um, play out in Australia at the moment. Actually, we were talking to a few of our founder clients last week, and a really clear observation that that came from the group was that. If you are in a position to make acquisitions, now is a really great time to do so. We are definitely seeing a lot of our um, our technology clients look to look to pick up complementary businesses, and there's there's obviously a range of reasons for doing that, but there's quite a few that are really looking to broaden out their customer base or add on a complementary offering to really shore up the size of the business in preparation for an IPO or an exit in a couple of years' time um, to really be a bigger a bigger group that's coming to market. Uh, and that's a strategy we're seeing a few people employ at the moment. We're also obviously seeing a few of our clients, you know, buddy up in search of synergies given the constrained funding environment as well. Um, and in that regard, you know, script deals are very are very popular, of course. Everyone's looking to preserve their cash right now. Um, and, you know, doing a script deal is actually a really great way to ensure that everyone's interests are aligned in driving the business towards future growth. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Claire, because I, I just closed one deal that is a script acquisition come fundraising yesterday. Um, so uh, agree that it, it's it's a good commercial outcome for all parties involved, um, but hideously complicated from a um, documentation perspective. Um, yeah. yeah, it can it can be very complex, but like ultimately on both sides, really, even from the acquirer's point of view, you know, you need to have your investor approvals in place, both to make the acquisition and to issue the shares, of course, and then you've got to negotiate. You know, are we are reopening our shareholders' deed? Is our board composition going to change? You know, what are the future goals of the group? Are we shooting for an exit? When are we targeting that? What would success look like? So it's not uh, it's not necessarily a quick and easy transaction, but if executed well, it can be the difference between you know life or death for some of these companies. It's very true, isn't it? Um, and I think that's the 
the great thing about some of these new trends in the sense of people are thinking outside of the box and trying to find ways to to grow in a way that's sustainable and you know to make it more attractive on the exit um I'm conscious of time so I think um we might look at wrapping it up there one thing before I do and we've been asking all of our guests on this podcast um is what is one thing in tech that you are currently excited about now Victor I know we've had you on uh, an episode previously and you talked about robo baristas which was very interesting um, is there anything else either of you is very excited about in tech at the moment? Um, I would say uh, full self-driving. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a big Tesla fan, that's no secret, but um, I think they've really made leaps and bounds in their development of their full self-driving technology. And uh, I'm just sort of visualising the day when sort of you can get, get to work with the convenience of your own car, but uh, have the time, 20 minutes, half an hour, freed up to do your own thing while the car drives itself. Um, so I, I'm sort of really looking forward to that. That sounds great. Yeah, I've, I hear in San Francisco they they've got self-driving vehicles on the road now, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I think it might be a little way off in Australia. But what is one technology that I'm excited for? Well, I mean, the technology that everyone is talking about is AI. So uh, maybe some type of lawyer bot. Maybe we can, we should uh, get our heads together and develop one in-house. That sounds like a plan. We'll, um, let's see where we get to on the lawyer bot. Um, well, thank you very much, um, Claire and Victor, and thanks everyone for joining us. Be sure to tune to our next episode of the Tech Transactions podcast series, where we'll be talking a little bit more around ESG and building on some of the themes um, we heard today around ESG as well. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.